the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied today by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. My son, Michael. Hello, everyone. And our dog, Otto. He's there, but he doesn't talk. He's just looking at us kind of strangely. Like we're crazy. (laughs) Now, this show, ordinarily, the first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law, and the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going to court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The next part of the show, we do interviews, and we we have a few interviews touching a lot of bases today. First, we have, well, last, I would say, we have Wilford Brimley, who is one of my most favorite character actors who unfortunately passed away not too long ago. We're sad. So we're going to reprise the interview we had with Wilford Brimley. We're going to be talking about the the great work that St. Jude's does, St. Jude's Children's Hospital in on Danny Thomas Way in Tennessee. We're going to talk about the great how St. Jude's was founded, the great work that they do, and then we're going to talk a little bit about politics. Joel Pollock, his book on Red November, and what do you mean by red? Do we mean red state or communist? So that's our choices coming up in this. Uh, that should fall. make everybody happy. Something for everybody. One of the things I want to say is it is so good to be back in all of our offices. Brooklyn, of course, Bay Ridge, but Manhattan, Middle Village, Bayside, and Staten Island. It is so nice to be back. I know that we have been seeing people on Zoom, you know, the the video, and people have been calling in. We've been doing the, you know, we always have free initial consultations. But we've been doing them by telephone and then this video chat. But now we can have people back and see people in person. If you're comfortable about coming into the office, please come in. We all wear masks. We have soap to keep everybody clean and kill all the germs. So we're doing the best we can do. And we're here for you. So hooray, the offices are are back. And as misanthropic as some of us have been feeling this year, it's still it would still be wonderful for us to see you. Now, Dad, what's so important about October 1st? Well, October 1st, the rules for home care Medicaid are changing dramatically. You know, at present, let's say for the sake of argument, you're over 65 or disabled. You put all your assets in an irrevocable trust, and that's not the only way to get there, but usually it's the optimal way to get there is to put your assets in a trust so you still keep some control. If you put in your assets in a trust today, let's say in in August, on September 1st, the first day of the month following the transfer, you can apply for home care Medicaid for home care services, usually to keep a loved one out of a nursing home, home care attendance, home equipment, supplies, so forth. If you put your assets in a trust after October 1st, when the, or I should say on October 1st or after, the day the law changes, 
then we're going to have a 30-month look-back period. So I'm simplifying it, and there might be exceptions to every rule, and we can always try to do certain things. But basically, if you put your assets in an irrevocable trust on October 1st, you can't apply for home care Medicaid, for home care services for 30 months. That's, you know, two and a half years. So in other words, if you put your assets in an irrevocable trust on September 30th, and please don't come into our office on September 30th, you know, that's just quite not enough time. But if you put your assets in an irrevocable trust on September 30th, it's completed by September 30th, then on October 1st, you can apply for home care Medicaid services. If you put your assets in October 1st, you cannot, and, and again, there are exceptions to every rule. If you have a disabled child, you have a spouse, you have a child living in the house, there are different things, different exceptions that we can always talk over. And, and listen, if you have any questions, I can't stress it enough, please schedule an appointment with us at Connors & Sullivan, whether it's in our Brooklyn office, our Queens offices, Staten Island, or Manhattan. Give us a call at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. We can talk things over and try to give you the best plan. But if you're thinking about home care services, even 30 months from now, put your assets in a trust now, assuming you have children you can trust. Then we can start on home care if you need it. But two years from now, we can start on home care if you need it. If you don't put it in before October 1st, you're going to have a 30-month look-back period from the day that you put those assets in and you know you lose a few days at the end of the month no matter what so October 1st is a very big date the world changes as far as home care Medicaid is concerned now again there are going to be a lot of exceptions of things you know we can possibly probably put a house in a trust even after October 1st if that's the only major asset and still be able to apply for home care Medicaid, but the world is going to change on October 1st. And if you want to check out your options, give us a call at Connors & Sullivan, whether you live in Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, or Manhattan. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. 
Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of old movies, and you know, back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, there were so many great character actors around Hollywood, and, and later on, there didn't seem to be many as quite quite as many personalities. But we're very privileged to have on one of the great personalities in cinema, Wilfred Brimley. How are you doing, sir? Very well, thank you. Okay. So the obvious question, before you were an actor, what kind of jobs did you have? Oh, many, many. Uh, I was a bartender. I was a horseshoer. I was a racehorse trainer. Uh, several. How did you get into acting and into Hollywood? Well, uh, I started out as a, what they call an extra in the, in films. Uh, I could get around a saddle horse pretty good or a team of wagons. I could drive teams, and, and they were always looking for those kind of guys. So that's how I got in in the beginning. I was looking on IMBD, and I saw that you were in True Grit. What? Where were? If if I saw True Grit today, the John Wayne True Grit, how how would I spot you? You would not spot me. Uh, I was uh, an extra. I did a little horseback work in there, and then uh, uh, I was just one of the one of the folks that were. I didn't. I had no scripted part in there. Okay, but I was we an extra. But we can't see. Hey, that's him in the background there, in, in whatever scene. Well, you might see uh, there's a courtroom scene there where you might uh, see me. Uh, when you when you work as an extra, it's it's kind of one of your jobs is not be seen so you can be recognized. If you if you, all you do is show them a a live warm body, then they'll call you back tomorrow. But if they if they see your face and it's recognizable. Well, obviously, they can't use you again. All right. Now, let me ask you something. That film was directed by Henry Hathaway, who's really one of the last of the great Hollywood directors. Did you have any interaction with him? What did you think of him? None, none whatsoever. <laughs> I didn't even meet him. You didn't even meet him? No. Okay. Well, how, how'd you get from being an extra to being an actor? Well, they quit making westerns. And... Uh, <laughs> I was a, I had a really good friend who who I I I still happen to think he's the best actor we have, and he encouraged me to throw my hat in the ring and try it. Robert Duvall, my friend, yes, who was in True Grit and did have a very important part. Yeah. Well, how, how you know how does the conversation go? How does he get you into acting? Well, he just suggested that I try it and. Uh, we had conversations. I, I, you know, I would say, "What do I have to do?" And he would say, "Just do it. Don't worry about it." 
all uh, wherewithal, just do it. The hard part about being an actor is not doing the work, it's getting the job. I've heard that before. Now, did you take any training as an actor? Did you go to an acting school? No, I didn't. Uh, maybe I should have. I don't know. No, that's but why. I, I didn't know. That's why you have a unique personality. You weren't trained in an acting school. You were yourself. Well, yeah. <laughs> now, you, you were on some, you know, obviously you were in some notable films, uh, you know, in, including one of the great baseball movies of all time, The Natural, and you played the manager. Are you a baseball fan? Yes, I did. Yes, I am. Okay, so how, you know, how did you get into the part, and what was the part? Tell the, the audience, what was the part? Who did you play? Well, I was Pop Fisher, the manager of the New York Knights, and uh, the way I, the way I wound up doing that is I, I had an agent, you know, who submitted me to that company for, for that part, and I interviewed the director and. And we got along okay, and, and, and they hired me. <laughs> but you're the most memorable guy in that movie, and there are a lot of great actors in that, including your buddy Robert Duvall and Robert Redford and Darren McGavin and Richard Farnsworth. I always appreciated his performances. Well, he, he was he was my best friend in life, uh, and we had a lot of fun fun doing that movie. Now, was Richard Farnsworth in True Grit? Uh, no. No? Okay. But he used to do a lot of stunt work or whatever, and before he became an actor. Yeah, yeah, he he was a he was a triple A AAA stuntman. He he started out in 1937, doubling oh, wow. uh, Gary Cooper and Bo Jess. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, he was special guy. No, there's no question. He had a great screen presence, as obviously you know you do. Now let me ask you something. The thing. I read something yeah. that you weren't crazy about the movie, but everything you read's not true, obviously. Well, uh, crazy about it? No, I, I thought it was uh, okay, you know. I, I, I tell you, I'm not a big fan of uh, special effects. I, I, I'm not a I'm not a real big fan of of the creation of all oh, those scary dogs and slimy. In the old days, the the audience used to create that for themselves in their own mind, and, and uh, it was uh, it was a lot better, as far as I'm concerned. All right, let me ask you: What's the favorite film that you were associated with? Oh, you know, I I I did a lot of films, and uh, the one that I enjoy thinking about the most was that little movie. That we all got together, Bob Duvall and Glenn Close and Freddie Forrest and myself. And it's called The Stone Boy. And uh, it's, it's a pretty good film, really. Then I did another one with a, a guy that's a brilliant actor, Levon Helm. We did one called End of the Line about a railroad yard. Now, you're still doing work now? It looks like it from IMBD. No, I don't. I don't. Uh, uh, I'm getting old, and I don't get around real good. And, uh, it'd be hard for somebody to hire me. to. And, and, and in fairness to them, 
I, I have to tell him I don't get around very good. One of, one of the things I enjoyed your performances in some of those TV westerns with Tom Selleck, TNT. I mean, they, they obviously wasn't great cinema, but they were good entertaining films. Why do you think the western died out, and do you miss it? Well, it costs a lot of money to make them. And uh, the people that, that made them and were so good at it, they're all gone. It's a, it's a different bunch that runs the film business now. And uh, clearly their interests are not along those lines. You mean it's more expensive to make a Western and see 10 cars blow up? Yeah. Really? Yeah, sure. You got all the clothes, all the, you got to go to a certain place where the, there's no telephone wires. You got to, it's a big deal. And if it's a good one, there's a lot of folks in it. Yeah, you know, I learned some because I would have thought a Western was relatively cheap to make compared to, you know, all these films with special effects and things like that. Oh, well, now, uh, uh, those those uh, movies like uh, the Titanic and those monster uh, epic, uh, yeah, they, 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 they'll break the bank, but day-to-day uh, movie, Westerns up there in cost. Now, of course, I think everybody remembers when you were the spokesman for the Diabetes Association. Do you have any comments about that? You've been suffering from the disease for a long time, I understand. Well, I don't suffer from it. I take care of it, and it's not a problem. Okay. So what would you advise people to do that, you know, how do you take care of it? Check your blood sugar as often as you can and see a good doctor. Okay. Do you ever get any fan mail right now? You know, we do. My wife, uh, she's one in a million. She sits down and answers every letter, and it's, it's, it's amazing. Well, I would I would assume you still get a lot of fan mail because talking to other people, again, you were one of the you know most recognizable actors you know of the, uh, of the present time. Now, I understand you also released a jazz album a few years back. Yeah, I got several of them. Um, uh, music, music is an important part of my life. So, so I, I and I recorded music primarily for my grandchildren, so that they could hear some songs rather than noise. <laughs> well, I assume those, I assume those albums are available for sale. Uh, I don't know where you'd buy one of them. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. Uh, for a, the first one I did. Uh, I was hired to do it by the Hallmark Company, and they produced the album. And for a while, it was it was for sale. It did pretty well. Uh, and subsequent to that, I uh, I'd put together a bunch of songs and then take a group into the studio. And and so we have, uh, I think, uh, all together five. Maybe only four albums, but it's pretty good music. Never okay. mind. I'm not a singer. I don't pretend to be, but I I can carry a tune and remember the words. And uh, I wanted my grandkids to hear hear those songs. Now, if you asked your grandkids, or if you told your grandkids one film to to watch where you performed, what would it be and why? 
Well, it'd probably be the Stone Boy. The Stone Boy. Uh, yeah, because it was it was very very well written, and uh, the people in it that uh, made it were dedicated to it, and it's uh, a very poignant uh, story that timeless. It's uh, it could be today or yesterday or day after tomorrow. That's what it's like. It's a story of a family uh, trying to adjust to a tragedy in the family and how they succeed and fail and, you know, life goes on. Who did you play in that film? What was the character? I played the grandfather. I played the grandfather to this, to the stone boy, to the young man in question. All right. Wilford Brimley, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to our audience. Well, thanks for the call, pal. You're more than welcome. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Right now, we're going to go in an interview with two representatives from St. Jude's, Danny Thomas's St. Jude's, and they've got a story to tell. Let's hear it. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, in our office here, we do a, a lot of charitable bequests. And I have to say, one of the most popular charities that people are looking for in their will is St. Jude's. And we have two people from St. Jude's, Karen McAllister, Regional Director, Bequest East Coast, and Laura Wallenstein, Regional Executive Director for St. Jude's. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you Thank so you. much. For- okay, so... Somebody want to tell me the history of St. Jude's? I think a, a lot of our older listeners know, but maybe some of our younger listeners don't know. I'll let Laura handle sure. that, and she's been <laughs> St. Jude for sure. so long. <laughs> oh, sure. Well, you know, the, the amazing thing about St. Jude, and what really makes it remarkable, is that we have been, um, the, the hospital has been around for over 50 years. Um, but St. Jude really began um, at the heart of the community. It was Danny Thomas, a well-known actor of the time. Um, they remember Make Room for Daddy, one of the favorite shows of that era. Danny um, had made a promise when he was first starting out in his career um, to the to St. Jude, the patron saint of hopeless causes. He was really struggling, wanting to make it as an entertainer, but just really having um, difficult time making ends meet. And his wife was actually in the hospital with their firstborn child, Marlon Thomas, um, and he was having trouble paying to get her out of the hospital. And so he went into a church. He was a devout Catholic, and he made um, made a, a prayer to St. Jude um, that if he would just help him find his way in life, that he would build a shrine to him, um, a, a meaningful shrine to, to give back to the, the world, to the community, um, in honor of St. Jude. And so sure enough, 
the next day he gets, I think it was a commercial, a radio commercial for a singing toothbrush um, ad, and it paid exactly what he needed um, to get um, Marlo um, and uh, his wife out of the hospital right after she was born. And so, of course, his career continued, and he went on to have this very successful television and radio and comedy career. But he never forgot his promise. And um, one of his great advisors was um, Cardinal Stretch. He was um, the um, Cardinal of the Catholic Church at the time in Memphis. And he had talked about having this vision of wanting to do something for children, um, dying of leukemia and of, you know, these deadly childhood diseases um, that just weren't really receiving attention or treatment or research. And Cardinal Stretch really encouraged him to to consider doing it and building this hospital um, that he had had on his heart in Memphis, Tennessee, because he thought of it as an opportunity to help desegregate and and really set um, set the tone for um, inclusion and integration in the South, um, which of course at the time was really struggling uh, struggling with segregation. And so that's really an incredible incredible background about the hospital that a lot of people don't know. But he really leaned on communities across the country, asking everyone to come together and give and donate towards this vision of a hospital where children could come and be treated regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of creed, and they could just receive the treatment they needed. Um, and of course, he named it after St. Jude, um, St. Thaddeus, um, the patron saint of hopeless causes. Let me ask you something now. If somebody, let's say you have a parent and they, they have a child, who do they contact? How much do they have to pay? What do they have to do? Well, they never pay anything. Um, our families never pay for transportation, housing, food, much less treatment. Um, if a patient, if, if you are a parent and you have a child that's been diagnosed um, and we um, are researching that at St. Jude, um, we are a research hospital. So the way we work is that we treat patients as well as do research on these diseases. And we're primarily focused on devastating childhood diseases. So, of course, we're best known for um, pediatric cancer, all forms of pediatric cancer, but then other things, um, blood disorders, um, things like sickle cell, um, pediatric HIV. Um, We actually just recently had a huge discovery in um, the area of bubble boy disease. We actually have discovered a cure. One of the St. Jude researchers um, is credited with that. Um, So if you have a child who is sick and has been diagnosed, especially with pediatric cancer, the best thing to do is to work with your doctor, the doctor that was diagnosing, to make a referral to St. Jude. If you um, are a parent and you want to move forward on your own, you can actually go onto our website. We provide that information. I'm pretty nice to share with your listeners through your website later if you'd like. We have a phone number and a website to reach out, and within 24 hours, they should be hearing back from someone um, at the hospital, from a doctor or nurse, um, who can help um, talk through the referral process. And I can actually give you that um, phone number, the toll-free number for referral. It's 888-226-4343. Or family members could go to www.stjude.org. Can you repeat the phone number again for some of us who are a little slow on the uptake? (laughs) Sure. Um, 888-226. Dash four three four three. Now you know I know there are people out there that say you know they they may want to call but they're a little afraid they're not sure how they're going to be treated 
Can, can you reassure them? Sure, sure. Um, I think one of the nice things is that, um, and I'm always amazed by this, I've worked at many, um, many hospitals, and our physicians are incredibly responsive. Somebody from their office or the physician themselves will um, contact within 24 hours. And that's pretty amazing. I mean, I know I can barely get a phone call back from my primary care physician um, within that time frame. I think parents should be um, totally feel comfortable calling. Um, we're used to dealing with people calling and asking lots of questions and trying to see if their child might be appropriate for one of our treatment protocols. And uh, my advice is, when in doubt, just call or contact your physician about making a referral. Okay, now, we all hear the commercials, but how does somebody learn more about St. Jude's? How do they learn about your mission? Well, I mean, of course, they can always go on their website. Um, We have a lot of wonderful information. We also have a wonderful new resource, a website, um, that they really want to learn just about all the different types of stories coming out of St. Jude, whether it's research or patient care um, or what we're doing around the globe, our global efforts. We actually have a, a new website called St. Jude Inspire, and it features um, really neat stories that tell, you know, perspective of a patient or a patient family coming back to the hospital maybe for the first time since treatment. Um, and they talk about what we're doing um, in countries all around the globe, and they talk about um, the research. You know, you heard me reference the, the cure to bubble boy disease. And so I think sometimes science and, and research, um, to those of us who are not necessarily science majors, can be a little intimidating, but this is a great opportunity and a great website for people to go and actually read about the work being done in the lab using layman's terms um, and really, really helping, I think, the general audience um, understand the power of um, the philanthropic support that, that really fuels our research and why it's so different at St. Jude and why we're able to accelerate um, cures and accelerate research and, and share it freely. Now, obviously, people can make contributions while they're alive, but I think we should probably bring up that sometimes through a will of trust, you know, there, there are a lot of people in this area in New York, they're cash poor, but they're real estate rich. And I always tell them, if you want to make a gift, the, the time might be in your will when your house goes for $2 million or whatever, even though you may only have $50,000 in the bank. And that's the perfect time to make the gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we have people working all over the country who deal specifically with supporters who want to give either through their will or through another different charitable vehicle um, that has to do with their estate plans or that type of thing. Um, And our website also has lots of great information on how to make a gift through their will, how to make a gift through a charitable gift annuity, how to donate stock, how to donate real estate, all the different ways that people might want to benefit the organization. Um, so it's, it's pretty comprehensive. And again, where, where, do you, where do they get that information? They can go to www.stjude.org. Okay. Karen, Laura, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Good luck to you and your mission. And good luck to your patients. We'll pray for all of them. Thank Thank you you so much. much. 
We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Our next guest, Breitbart News, Joel Pollack, and he's got a book out, Red November. And Joel, what does that mean? Well, Red November is a play on the Tom Clancy novel and the movie The Hunt for Red October. Originally, my title was going to be The Hunt for Red November, about the left-wing direction of the Democratic Party presidential primary. But... Red November could actually mean one of two things. It could mean a socialist revolution. It could also mean red conservatism. You know, we color the Republican states red on our electoral map. So Red November could also mean re-election for Donald Trump. And what do you think is going to happen? Not that anybody really knows. No, nobody really knows. I'd say it's 50-50. I mean, we're in a tough situation. The economy is struggling because of coronavirus, and that's never good for any incumbent president. But Donald Trump has a very good record until the coronavirus in terms of leading the economy. He's also got a lot that he's done, essential reforms, key programs, decoupling with China, building the wall, and so forth, that only he can finish. And then you've got the fact that Joe Biden is quite old, doesn't really seem capable of running anything, and his party has moved so far to the left that you can see the chaos in the streets. It's going to increase if Biden wins, because once the left gets its way through rioting and so forth, it's just going to keep doing it. So you see the disorder on the left, and you see Trump offering stability on the right. And I think that's why Trump has a really good chance of winning. But again, it's anybody's to win right now. Okay, let me ask you a question. You know, like, I, I, I've always been kind of a conservative, but you were a Democrat once. How many people, how many other Democrats now are upset? Hey, wait a minute. Isn't the party just going a little bit too far out there? I think a lot of them are upset. I just think that there are some who are so committed to getting rid of Trump, they're going to vote for Joe Biden anyway. They would vote for a glass of water. I mean, you get some Democrats who would do that. He does have a bit of an enthusiasm gap. But I'm hearing anecdotally that there are a lot of Democrats who are thinking of voting for Trump simply because of the defund the police movement among Democrats and this idea that they can just replace history, they can do whatever they want, knock down statues, smash stores. There's no restraint on the Democratic side. You're not hearing Biden condemning the rioters. You're not hearing him defending the police. And I think that the idea that this whole country could spiral out of control the way it has in these Democrat-run cities, I think is going to cause some Democrats to move over. But let me ask you something. What made you change from being a Democrat to being a Republican? Or are you a Republican or are you just a conservative? No, I'm a Republican. I, uh -huh. I think that it, it was a long process, but eventually 
uh, it happened. It had to happen because I, I was a true believer. I really believed in using these left-wing policies to help people. And then when you see the results of those policies and you see they don't help, well, if you care about the result, you have to change the method. And through a long series of events and a long process, I really just realized my real place was among the conservatives because I think the most profound change that people can make in the world is the change in their own lives. And Republicans let you do that. Democrats don't. Okay. Now you were, you know, you reported on the Democratic primaries. What can you tell the audience? What were your observations? What did you learn? Well, first of all, this is the most left-wing primary in American history, and it's an interesting story from that perspective, also, because how did we get here? We got here from the resistance to Trump in 2016, 2017, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the rise of Bernie Sanders again, and all of that shifted the party to the left. But the other thing was interesting was how zany some of these characters were, how bizarre some of the proposals. I mean, my favorite was Julian Castro saying during a debate that transgender women deserve the right to an abortion. Transgender women, of course, are biologically male, and they don't have uteruses, <laughs> but they, they deserve the right to well, an abortion. Well, they have the right I mean, to it, okay. <laughs> right, right. So the primary was full of stories like that, just absolutely full of these crazy stories. So I had a lot of fun, even though... What we're witnessing is quite radical and in many ways threatening to our country. It's funny. And so that's why I enjoy telling the story in, in Red November. I mean, I think it's a very readable book and, and very uh, enjoyable for that reason. And and what, why, why has, you know, how, why did this craziness get entrenched in the party? Well, that's a very good question. And it's a process that's been going on for quite some time. It really starts with the 60s radicals who lost in 1968 for a variety of reasons, but they took over the academic institutions, they took over the culture, and eventually they took over the party. And Obama played a big role in this because Obama, remember, won during a financial crisis, and he had displaced Hillary Clinton during the primary. He was the first viable black candidate, and I think it was very difficult for the party to say no to him. But then once he became president, he lost the House right away. The American electorate rejected the radical direction Obama was taking everybody in. So what did he do? Did he move back toward the center? No, he didn't. He moved further to the left, and he focused on energizing his base, and he won re-election. And the lesson that Democrats took from that is that they can be their authentic left-wing selves and win. Now, I'm not sure they can do that every time. Not every candidate is as smooth as Barack Obama. Not every candidate on the other side is going to be as hapless as Mitt Romney, but the lesson Democrats learned from that experience was that extremism works, if I can put it that way. And that's why they're doing this. There's no reason they feel any longer since Obama, no longer any reason to moderate, to put the brakes on change, to offer incremental reforms. They want to go for everything because Obama showed them they could. And they believe that if they swing to the left and offer an authentically socialist vision, essentially, they can turn out the numbers that will vote for them and they will get everything they want. They don't have to compromise with the Republicans. They don't have to give up on amnesty or the Green New Deal or any of the things they want to do. They can get it all if they just win at the right time. Let me ask you something. What, what do you think would happen if Joe Biden does win? I think you're going to see a profoundly destabilizing event in American politics. You know, there's this idea that he's the old back-slabbing, hand-shaking, hair-sniffing, hugging politician. He's a comforter-in-chief, that sort of thing. 
But really, he's not in control of his own campaign or the party. And if they win after rioting in the streets, and I, this is what I've learned from experience, I mean, again, at being on the left and watching how the left operates, if they win after rioting, if they win after the phony impeachment, if they win after doing all the dirty things they did, like the Russia collusion and all that, then they're going to be completely unleashed. They're going to do the same thing anytime there's any sort of political opposition. They're going to crush Republicans. They're going to marginalize Republicans. They're going to pass amnesty on the first day in office. Chuck Schumer said that's the top priority. They're going to legalize at least 11 million illegal aliens. Those, those new citizens are going to vote for Democrats, basically making it impossible for Republicans ever to win again. So I think if Biden wins, you basically start to see the beginnings of a social revolution, socialist revolution, excuse me, where Democrats aren't just taking office, but they really want to change the rules of the game. And I think that's the danger of, of this moment, is that Democrats have a chance at doing that, and when they do it, they're going to pull the ladder up behind them. They're not going to let anybody else compete again. They thought they had done that with Obama. They sort of thought Obama was the end of politics, the fulfillment of all their ideals. Well, he wasn't a very good president, and they lost to Donald Trump in 2016, who restored a lot of the old constitutional principles, the old idea of patriotism, faith, free markets, everything that makes us America. Democrats aren't going to give Republicans the chance to fight back ever again. Now, you said Joe Biden's not in control, which I don't think we're going to argue that point, but who is in control? Well, it's a mix. It's a mix of old Obama and Clinton alumni on the one hand and the new Bernie Sanders radical ideologues on the other. It's the Bernie Sanders people who are getting the grassroots going in the social media and all that. And it's the Obama people and the Clinton people who are writing the documents, who are courting the donors, who are preparing the administration transition team and all that. So you're seeing all the different pieces of the Democratic Party come together. I'm not sure they work so harmoniously, but they're all involved. Biden is the only part of this machine that doesn't really work. He's really not entirely 100% there, and I don't think he's running anything. He's basically a figurehead. If he wins the presidency, it won't be a presidency. It'll be more like a regency where someone else is actually governing. But again, who... You know, I, I, okay, so it's going to be a combination. There's going to be a power struggle then if that does happen. And who's going to I win the so. struggle? I know Very it's speculation. Hard Very yeah. hard to say. Yeah. Now let me, okay, Red November. Why Why should we read this book? What are you trying to get across to the reader? What do we want to get out of this? Well, firstly, you should read it because it's a good read. I wrote this book with the idea that people could pick it up years from now and still enjoy it. It's not just a polemic for one election. I think it's an enjoyable book. But the other reason is I think people need to understand just how crazy the Democratic Party has become. This is not just an ordinary election. The party that is behind Joe Biden has become more radical than any party in the history of the United States. And people need to understand the fateful choice that lies ahead of us in November. We have Donald Trump. We have a conservative government that has governed well. That's one choice. The other choice is this radicalism that's happened on the left. I mean, if they were operating like a normal political party, they would have gone to the upper Midwest. They would have talked to the voters. They lost to Trump. They would have come back toward the middle a bit and found common sense solutions people cared about. That's not what they did. They moved further and further to the extreme. They're still moving left. Joe Biden is still campaigning to the left. He's not coming back to the center. So I think people need to understand what's going to happen in November in light of that choice. All right. Well, red November, we've got to make a choice. Joel, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thanks so much for the opportunity.
Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. You know, I was very sorry to hear about the passing of Wilford Brimley. Um, he really was one of my favorite character actors and i mean you know who can you know in, in our studio right now we got a picture of wilford brimley from the natural where he played the manager of the you know what was it the new york knights in that great baseball movie but i i kind of remember more from the westerns and you know the the turner westerns with tom Selleck or sam elliott or whatever and and he wilford brimley was one of those guys who it was always memorable, which I guess is why they asked him to do those Quaker Oak commercials, you know, over yeah. the years. And the diabetes commercials, let uh -oh, us not forget. Uh -oh. <laughs> no, he's a good guy. I mean, um, I don't know, he's he's an actor that makes you feel good. Like the old-timey character actors. Oh, who were some of those sidekicks? I don't know. Does he make you feel good when he's taking a hatchet to the control well, <laughs> room in the thing? I, I'm not no, sure that's a feel no. good role, but that's not. But, but he it, didn't like that movie anyway. Yeah, but it's one of my favorites. So, and he was memorable. There's he was no memorable. He was. But memorable. I mean, at the beginning, he was worried about the whole world being taken over. You well, know, absolutely. He was right. His character was right. Oh my goodness! Yeah, a good old guy. A good old guy. I don't know. Are they making them like that anymore? No, they're not. You know, we were hoping to see some of these guys out at the Western Heritage Dinner in October that was canceled. And we got a little bit of news, too. I mean, there was supposed to be a Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens dinner on September 24th. And, and that has been canceled. And that's a little bit of a disappointment. I was supposed to be honored at the dinner. He was a, the main honoree. Yeah, but it's yeah. going to... It, 
they're going to have it now in June of next year. I don't know if we have the exact date right now, but we're going to have more news on it. They're going to have uh, some kind of event by um, Zoom or, or right, whatever. Right, so you that know, you can give what on you On the can. same night, so we can give what we, what we can. And, you know, it's, listen, right now I, I have a hard time asking anybody for money because you don't know what the future is going to bring, what the future is going to hold to us. But if you do have something that you can afford, you know, to we'll, make a gift, there we'll are a lot of good charities it. out there. There are a lot of good charities out there. Just St. Jude's has been one of the best forever. We'll talk more about um, Catholic Charities, which is Brooklyn and Queens. We'll tell you what's coming up. And um, we, you know what it is? No, can't lose hope. Let's just keep going, work hard, do the best we can. All right? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's see if we can get Marty Golden in from Catholic Charities oh, that'd be in the next nice. couple of weeks. That would be excellent. That'd be very good. You know, maybe we'll talk about the police at the same time. That's right. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. We'll be back next week, same time. Same Bye-bye. Station. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us.